We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. PME Live, like I am every single Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Today, we're going to recap week five. We're going to talk about the snap shares from running backs in terms of week five, the waiver wire pickups and biggest injuries heading into week six, previous some Monday nighters and look, or not the Monday night, or not Monday night, errs plural, but we'll also take a look at the week six early spreads, see if anything hops off the page. Scheduling note for week six, I'm swapping the DraftKings show and the spread pick show. I know everyone loves the spread pick show. It's our favorite show. It's the flagship show. But we had to push it back a day. So instead of coming out on Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., it'll come out Wednesday evening, probably around like 10 p.m. The DraftKings pick show, all of Davis Maddock on this week, will be coming out on Wednesday morning in the regular spread time. So just in case you're wondering where it is on Wednesday morning, it'll be out more towards midnight on Wednesday. Just a scheduling conflict. But hey, we want to make sure we still got everything out. Also, If you're out there watching right now, remember to smash the like button, leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section, and tell me your favorite buy low target right now in all of fantasy football. You leave that in the comment section, not the live chat, the comment section. You'll be in a draw for 20 DK bucks. Other ways to do so, rate, review, subscribe, and download the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Give a five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you like about the show. You'll be in a draw for 20 DK bucks, as you will if you follow me on Instagram at the PME. You heart one of those football photos that appear in the timeline. Just leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. You, too, will be in the draw for 20 DK bucks. The winners from week five, I got Boyer, 27, Ahmed, 3, 4, 5, Minskewak, or Minshewak, oh, yeah, it's a good name, 26, MD The Dream, Captain Fun Pants, Hammerhead, 13579, Nikki Noodles, 19, M Panky, 88, and Quick and Easy Cat, 
all the winners of 20 DK bucks. The money is not in your DraftKings account yet. It shall be later today. Hopefully, if not, it'll be in there tomorrow or sometime within the next eight months. Either way, you won 20 DK bucks. Congratulations. If you're looking for the full list of waiver wire pickup and injuries or the snap counts at the description or comment section of this video or podcast, the waiver wire column is a living document all the way up until Tuesday evening. Then you know, I'll update it after the Monday Night Football. If any new injuries occur, what you see on the show today could change. Just takes one big injury. Everything could potentially change. Just letting you know that right now. So don't lock yourself in to everything that's said here today. Joining me for the first time on the show, a big shout out to him for getting over 10,000 YouTube subscribers. He's been contributing all around the industry, doing all the sports. First time on the show. I've been a fan. Sal Vetri, what's going on, my man? Hey, what's going on? Thanks for the nice words. Yeah, I appreciate being here. Big fan of the show and uh, happy to talk about what was a real crazy weekend in the NFL, I'd say, just people going off left and right. Yeah, if you didn't have like 310 DraftKings points, you were not in competition for big money. I put up like 260 and I was like, oh man, I'm doing great. And then Aaron Jones goes off, Cooper goes off. And I'm like, oh, I don't have those guys. And now I'm just way behind and barely cashing. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you could have scored 300 points and won like every single other millimaker, and you wouldn't even finish in the top 100 this week. People were at me saying that they scored 200 fantasy points for the first time ever and didn't win a dime in DraftKings this weekend. It's crazy. Yeah. Did you end up getting like season long leagues or even head to heads? Did you end up going up against like Will Fuller, Deshaun Watson, anything like that? Because I've really cut down my season long fantasy leagues. I only play in five now, and I went up against Will Fuller in four of them. It was not great. So I, I got really lucky. So I, yeah, I only play in three season long leagues or yeah, three, three, three and a half, I guess we can say. Um, but it is uh, Will Fuller in all of them. So I got lucky there, but I did face Christian McCaffrey too. So rough there. Yeah, that's a rough start to the week. Hopefully you could have something to mitigate some of the damage that happened. Have one of the like three or four or five other guys who just went absolutely bananas. It's funny trying to get like the winning combination. You needed to have basically four of those guys and then hit on all like the periphery players who like tight end was almost like a barren wasteland last week. It's funny. I went all out fade on Tyler Eifert uh, on all of my DraftKings line. I'm thinking I'm a genius, but it didn't really matter. Like unless you paid up for Ertz who had a really good week or somehow fell into Darren Fells. Everyone at tight end was kind of irrelevant. Yeah, that's how it, that's how it landed. Like Ryan Izzo was like one of the best tight ends this week. I, I ended up going just all in Jimmy Graham hundred percent. And I played mainly three max single entry, um, but I had Jimmy Graham in every single thing and him not doing well, like eight fantasy points, whatever it was, it doesn't even hurt you because nobody does well at the position this week. Yeah, it just some, some weeks it breaks down that way. You have to have the certain guys at the certain positions. You need to have Eagles defense. If you didn't have Eagles defense, I mean, maybe you could have skated by with Carolina. They were pretty popular. But other than that, like there was just a huge gap between the very top scorers at the position and everyone else, even if they had good weeks. Like even someone like Josh Jacobs, who had a really good week, like you still had to have McCaffrey or it didn't really matter. Yeah. What's crazy to me as I, as I look through like the Millie maker winning lineup, I mean, the guy puts up like 330 points, but the thing that's crazy is he, he has two guys that don't even hit 15 fantasy points and he still does that. Like that's the type of week we just had. We're probably never going to see this again until we do like three weeks from now. Cause this is what I said. What week one. Yeah. Uh, who were the two guys who didn't put up a ton of points for him? I assume it was a tight end and a defense. Yeah. So, so no, no, he actually had Eagles defense. So I have it up. He, he had Jared cook who had 14 fantasy points and then he has James white who has 13 at 12% ownership for white 3% for cook. Yeah. These guys combined for less than 30 points for him and he still scores 331. It's just insane. So that means he had to have Deshaun McCaffrey, Jones, Cooper, Fuller, all five of those guys. 
So he had he had actually he had Teddy Bridgewater and oh. he doesn't have Amari Cooper, which is insane. He that, has this is the lineup. It's it's Teddy, it's McCaffrey, James White, and wide receivers Fuller, Godwin. So back to back weeks there uh, for Godwin being in a million maker, and then Michael Thomas, and then Jones in the flex, Eagles D. So yeah, it's actually remarkable that he doesn't have Amari. That's not. I mean, just with salary cap constraints, it would be really tough to afford all of those guys. And still, like Will Fuller was the clear like low owned guy that you had to have. Eagles D you had to have. And other than that, like, yeah, I guess you just could mix and match the expensive guys. You just had to hit on the right ones. But anyway, let's recap the week a little bit. Wow, what really leapt out to you? Like, we'll eventually get to, like, the Power Five and rank the overall who are the best teams in football. I think New England's a very clear number one at this point, even though they, they it looked like they were actively trying to shave points at some time, points against the Redskins, and it still didn't matter. They still ended up covering a gigantic spread. But was there anything interesting? Because I think you do the same thing that I do. You watch all the games on Sunday. Uh, you kind of absorb what's happening, develop some takes. Then you go back on Monday morning and watch all the accelerated films so you can watch all the games essentially in, like, 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think... The biggest thing that stood out to me is just the Saints in general and how good of a coach Sean Payton is in terms of scheming players open. Like Teddy Bridgewater looked really good yesterday and, and credit to him, but the guys, just how wide open they were, that's all scheming. That's all like an offensive genius in Sean Payton. So watching that game, like you said, running it back, these 15 minute sim videos that they have that are fantastic. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater, he just had him looking like a top tier quarterback. Again, the defense he's facing is terrible, but when you're able to scrap out two wins in a row with a backup quarterback, no one expecting them to win both of these games, maybe not even one. That's something that stood out to me. And then also just the Packers going into Dallas and winning. They were underdogs and they end up winning by double digits uh, and leaving that game pretty much the whole time in full command. So those are like the two big points for me that stood out. What'd you make of that Green Bay and Dallas game? Because it it was stunning to me. It's funny, like fantasy wise, like people are all gung ho for MVS without Devontae Adams around. Maybe play some Geronimo Allison. You talked about playing Jimmy Graham. And even you could play Aaron Rodgers in that game. They all kind of did nothing fantasy-wise, yet the Packers ruled. However, the pass defense didn't look great. Like, Jair Alexander made some decent plays, but Cooper lit him up. Oh, yeah. So, like, coming into the week, the Packers offense, the only thing pieces I was high on were Jimmy Graham. Uh, like, to me, he seemed like the only guy that Aaron Rodgers would trust throwing the ball to, and Aaron Jones. And if you believe that Aaron Jones would be schemed into the passing game, as he was, they put him out wide, they put him in the slot. He, he has just a career historic day. Um, then that was really the only way they would move the ball. And that's exactly what they did, mainly just through Aaron Jones. So credit to Jones and credit to just the way that they schemed the offensive line. They had a, a rookie on the offensive line filling in for center who got hurt, Corey Lindsley. They were able to just run the ball down Dallas's throat, who was pretty good for the last three weeks defending the run. And then, yeah, you talk about it on the defense. Jair Alexander rated number two pro football focus cover cornerback going into last week. And Amari just lit him up. I mean, Amari left and right was just taking anything he wanted from him. Dak, one of his interceptions was just a drop by Amari, the only like, bad point of the game for Cooper and then a, a Jair just ends up with a picks but even there he got beat so um, for me the pass defense yeah a little bit concerning because Gallup comes back burns Kevin King for most of the game there uh, it's concerning the one bright spot for this Packers outside of their safeties is Tremont Williams who I was on just kind of torching the guy after week two getting torched by Chad Beebe and then Tremont Williams looks good but um, holding down Randall Cobb but yeah the outside looked concerning it was just a weird game overall like the whole time it seemed like the Packers were in command but they weren't even doing anything it was just Aaron Jones left and right 15 yard runs it was it was a really just to see Dallas end up like staging a comeback although you know they ended up falling 10 points short after the missed field goal I'm still not sure where to fall on either of these teams like I'm just trying to think of like where to power rank them as it pertains to the league like are you worried that Kansas City all of a sudden they've been figured out all of a sudden people are throwing man coverage at them and Patrick Mahomes can't do anything or do you think they'll adjust to this because I still think they're very clearly the number two team in the league 
Yeah, I think they'll adjust. I actually think this Colts defense, which is just insane how they're down now maybe three of their best players, but down Darius Leonard, Malik Hooker go into that game, and they're still just so good. This is a defense that – it's his own defense primarily. Uh, that's what they run, so they're not going to let you beat them deep, and they didn't even let Patty Mahomes beat them deep for the most part in that game. So I don't think it's anything at the Chiefs. Losing at home, maybe a little bit of a concern there, but in a, in a big primetime spot. But this Colts defense is a lot better than I think people give them credit for. Yeah, it's funny what you can do even with lesser personnel. Like you mentioned, Darius Leonard out again with the concussion and Malik Hooker in the secondary, the best piece of their secondary, more than likely. Uh, and then you have Frank Reich, and they were even showing the analytics department up in the booth on M- the NBC coverage in the Sunday nighter. And you're right, like they primarily play a zone defense. And then yet last yesterday coming into this game, and scheming it they basically looked at what the lions did the week before what the patriots did against them in the playoffs and like you know what zone's not gonna work here they're going to beat our zone they completely switched to man so the three games in which mahomes has struggled in uh basically over his past 10 have been all against this man coverage i think you'll see more teams go to this and it's just sort of a testament like you can make all these excuses for all these different teams you lose this player you lose that player you lose this player but Frank Reich has done an amazing job of piecing everything together. Like, he comes in late to the season last year, and, yeah, he kind of rebuilds Andrew Luck. He rebuilds this offense, and they lose Andrew Luck, randomly retires. They're playing down their two best defenders, and all of a sudden this team continues to look pretty legit. Do you think they have the top-end talent to actually do any damage here outside of the regular season? Like, you get the Colts into the playoffs, they might be able to scheme up with teams, but do you think, like, a lack of talent eventually catches up to them? Yeah, I think it has to at that point in the playoffs. I completely agree. Frank Wright, he's done a fantastic job so far this year, but you can only go too far until you just get hit with so much talent overload. Like last night um, was an indication that they can survive in the playoffs. I just don't know how deep they can actually get. And if they're at he- if they get healthier, then sure, you get Leonard back. Malik Cooker's um, pretty much done. But it, it, I think it's a spot where when you get deep, maybe first round of the playoffs for them, which is where they've been uh, for the most part. But I think it's just a, a pretty big testament that you could have Jacoby Brissett back there. And last night kind of plays more of the game manager role. Marlon Mack does his thing against a bottom-ranked Chiefs defense. But having Jacoby Brissett look that comfortable, and the biggest thing that I saw coming into the season was Brissett hangs onto the ball so, so much. And he's getting it out quicker now. Um, and I think it's, it's really changing what this offense can do. Yeah, just missing T.Y. Hilton last week against the Raiders. It's such an important cog of this offense to take alleviate just so much pressure off the offensive line, off Brissett, knowing that you have a receiver out there that that can beat you. Not that T.Y. had an amazing game, but he was an important part of the defensive focus for the Chiefs that I thought that was a really interesting note that if T.Y. is going to be healthy, this offense is going to look completely different. I think they could, they could sustain the loss of Marlon Mack and piece together the running back situation, but it's hard to replace a talent like Hilton on the outside and how much he commands from the defense. So if that's an interesting note moving forward that maybe just completely do not back the Colts if Hilton's not around and if Hilton is in, then uh, maybe give them more than a fighting shot in some of these games bad week for anyone in survivor pools i got bounced because i took the stupid bears and everyone else got bounced in the sunday nighter who had kansas city hopefully you ended up using maybe the vikings on the road maybe you still had philly or new england i didn't have either of those two left so survivor pools whittled all the way down you might want to start talking about hedging yourself out if there's very few people left and just splitting the top prize from here on out uh because you're down to that point where almost everyone's eliminated that you can do that but i want to talk about oakland for a second i think they backdoored their way 
just because of personnel problems and injuries into something that's kind of interesting because Warren Sharp has been writing about this. We've seen the Rams kind of convert to this style of offense, playing Higby and Everett as much as possible in these 12 formations because Tyrell Williams was banged up and there was no J.J. Nelson. The Raiders did that against the Bears. They ended up playing uh, a lot of these 12 sets with Waller and Dr. Moreau out on the edge and it solved a lot of their offensive line issues and it just created a lot of matchup problems that the bears weren't ready for. I don't know how long this can sustain itself. Uh, and maybe it was just a fluky week. It was in London, but the Raiders offense, well, it didn't look good. They were able to run the ball far more effectively, especially off tackle with these bruisers on the outside, adding an extra blocker and giving you the perception that they can still go run routes as well. That, I'm kind of intrigued by this Oakland offense, but either way, I think it's great news for Josh Jacobs, who you were even talking about Marlon Mack being split out wide and running, or Aaron Jones running these receiver routes. Uh, Josh Jacobs was doing the same thing for the Raiders against the Bears. Yeah, and that's like the last piece to the puzzle almost. We had like Coach Peak saying he might catch some passes, be split out wide, and, and you're seeing it a little bit. So hopefully we see more of it. But yeah, Jacobs played 68% of the snaps, and you were talking about 12 personnel. It's exactly what's helping teams built like Oakland. I mean, last week you have the Browns, who their offense is all a mess. They go into 12 personnel. Um, they absolutely dominate the Ravens. Nick Chubb goes absolutely just 180, 160 yards, three touchdowns. They do whatever they want. You have teams like the Titans for the last two weeks have been running a lot of 12 personnel. Delaney Walker coming off the field for pass blocking tight ends like Jonu Smith and Derrick Henry doing really whatever he wants on 20 plus touches. So yeah, I mean, Josh Jacobs is just, he's been fantastic all year. And it's, I don't know if it's not being talked about as much because his volume has been down in some games, they trail, whatever it is he plays on the West coast. But every time he touches the ball, I mean, this guy is so elusive. He's breaking and making the first man miss kind of like Saquon in a way when you actually watch him play, it's just that I don't think a lot of people are getting exposure to seeing him play. But yeah, I think that these 12 personnel, especially when the guys can catch the ball, like I didn't, I didn't know who Foster Monroe was for the most part, but he's actually athletic and seems like he can catch the ball. I even had Derek Carrier for like 10% of the snaps catching a couple of balls. And we know what Darren Waller can do. So when you have these guys in 12 personnel, it's not even like you're just going to run the ball. So it helps a lot. I think that that is a huge note to take moving forward or, or to kind of stash away moving forward and maybe even see the Browns stick with it tonight. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, a really big piece to seeing what a lot of teams are going to do. And I thought the, I thought the Packers were going to maybe do it a little bit because they have a ton of tight ends. They did for some of the game, but, but not too much, especially once they got up pretty big, um, they kind of can kind of change the whole format of how they wanted to play that game. Yeah, we even saw a little bit from the Texans as well. Just like I, with Kenny Stills out, you would expect to see Kiki on the field a lot. And Kiki put up decent numbers, three for 76. But he was barely on the field the entire time. That was kind of surprising to me, thinking just how much they love to utilize these three wide receiver sets. But it seems like there is a shift, and it makes a lot of sense. It gives you extra protection if you have the bad offensive line, if you do need it. And then it gives you just a huge mismatch in terms of size against the secondary. Teams are so accustomed in building their team around these i mean seattle would be one thing from like five years ago when they had all these gigantic dbs but since so many teams are playing dime packages over and over and getting rid of the linebacker and bringing in an undersized basically slot corner uh if they're now matched up against some dude who's six foot six and two 250 pounds like that's an easy matchup and that's what the Raiders really exploited against the Bears with Moreau and even Waller that it wasn't deep plays but it was just enough to generate these first downs like you throw that ball into contested areas and these guys can just body everyone out it's I'm curious to see if the Raiders actually stick with this if when Williams and Nelson end up coming back because I have a sense that they probably won't yeah I, I think that's the big thing too like you just mentioned you have your two outside kind of burners and yeah as I was replaying that game and watching it most everything was just to the sticks for the most part, especially for both teams, really, but especially for the Raiders in these formations. So I think it's sort of a, it's definitely a copycat league. We saw last year 
Um, the Eagles ran the most 12 personnel, Doug Peterson, Goddard, and Zach Ertz. And now you see a lot more teams going to it and having success early on. And I don't think there's been many teams that haven't had success. You touched on it with the Texans. And yeah, they had two tight ends on the field for over uh, two thirds of the game. AFK, let's do reverse power rankings for a second. If we had to rank the worst five teams in the league, are the Redskins worse than the Dolphins? Because we're going to find out this week because Jay Gruden just gets fired. Uh, Bill Callahan's going to step in and you know establish the run. We're not running the ball enough. So you probably should go pick up Adrian Peterson if he's available because they're going to run him like 39 times against the Dolphins, which could actually be quite effective. But neutral field, you have this Dolphins team against this Redskins team. And maybe even throw the Bengals into that mix now, too. Although the Bengals have looked friskier in some of these matchups. Do you think the Dolphins and Skins are the two worst teams in the league? Yeah, I think so. I think you can't really put the Jets there just because they're probably going to have Darnold back. But, I mean, with Falk there, they've looked terrible. But I think it's those two teams. And honestly, yeah, this is the week we're going to get to see. It's sort of the, the reverse of the Super Bowl, whatever you might call it in your fantasy league, if you got just the worst two teams playing each other. But I actually like Miami here, if I'm saying. Like, just pure talent, at least from the offensive side. They're trying to lose games, so it seems, but it doesn't seem like uh, the Redskins are doing much better. Injuries affecting Washington for sure. Um, but I think I think Miami has just more talent, which is something I never thought I would say. Yeah, I think they have more high-end talent when it comes down to it. And then there's that both teams just have no middle tier. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, there's just bad players. Although I was really surprised Washington was able to generate not a ton of pressure on Brady, but they were able to bring him down a few times that as a streaming defense this week, I don't hate Washington against Miami because Miami's still pretty inept. Maybe getting Albert Wilson back coming off the bye, they kept him out long enough. He was close to playing a week ago. The bye week means he should be back. But even just against Rosen, like if you need a completely unowned defense to run through your lines. I'm not saying that they're the best streaming defense of the week, but they're definitely unowned in deeper leagues that like, would you hate Washington here? No, I wouldn't. I mean, we've been targeting Miami all year and you're going to get, they're going to be on your waiver wire for one. And then two, you're probably going to get them at a, a very cheap price point in DFS. But yeah, you touched on it. They, they made Brady, at least for the far majority of the first half, look like a 42 year old quarterback, just surviving out there. Um, throwing just a terrible interception and really getting to him. So uh, generating some pressure, sure. The secondary is just still lacking just so much talent back there. I think I saw um, just another injury for them in that secondary. So it's a spot where, yeah, if you're, if you're streaming them, trying to face Miami is, is the nuts matchup and probably the best matchup you get for both of these defense, honestly. Maybe the only week you could play either. So if we do the overall power rankings of the best teams, I guess we'll put undefeated New England at number one. Maybe we'll reserve judgment on San Francisco until after the Monday nighter is over. They could still be undefeated. Shockingly enough, Tom Brady and Jimmy G, the only two remaining undefeated quarterbacks in the league. Are you worried at all about the Patriots offense? Like, there seems to be no qualms with the Patriots defense, although they haven't really played a high end offense as of yet. They just look pretty locked down uh, and that's going to be a tough defense to overcome but the offensive line for the Patriots is really banged up it doesn't look great and Brady's been although the stats were there yesterday they and they moved the ball basically at will until certain points Brady's just making like weird bad decisions lately is this something that you think it's going to keep itself up or is it just the end of September beginning of October and frankly Brady doesn't give a shit yeah I think it's the second part a little bit more like the last two weeks you see him just looking a little bit worse and then when Second half comes around, putting it on a little bit. But yeah, for the most part, uh, obviously losing Antonio Brown, it kind of flips this offense on its head a little bit. Burkhead's been injured. Once they get a little healthier, and I don't think you're seeing most of their packages. You haven't seen the James White go out and catch eight balls types of game. 
I, you finally got Sony Michelle in a beneficial matchup running a little bit more. It shouldn't be understated either that James Devlin being out now for the year, this has been a couple of weeks now, but instead of having more eye formation, you're going to just find more 11 personnel with a, with a single back. Um, and I think that's actually going to work to their advantage as long as it seems like Philip Dorsett is healthy. Um, but it's going to allow Rex Burkhead and James White to get on the field more than Sony Michelle. Um, and I think they forced Sony Michelle this past week into a little bit of a Rex Burkhead role, making him run 18 routes, the most he's ever ran in his career, caught three balls. So I think the offense is totally fine. Maybe a little bit of playing down to the competition. I mean, yeah, people say what they want about the, the Patriots division. It's obviously terrible. Uh, but geez, getting to face Washington after playing just the Jets with um, Luke Falk and getting to play. Uh, just the bills and this other piece of this division, it's just, it, it doesn't get much easier. So I think it's just a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a loft coming into, like you said, the end of uh, going into um, October now. Yeah. Well, the, the bills weren't a complete walkover because that defense is so good. And I'm still convinced that if Josh Allen doesn't take that hit and leaves that game, like they're live. As soon as Berkeley came in, they were not live to win that game anymore, even though they did have an opportunity and ended up giving it to John Brown to throw a pass into the end zone, which was kind of shocking. But if Josh Allen stays in that game, they could notch a victory there. Uh, it's going to be that sort of team. It's funny, like, because I have Kansas City ranked at number two overall, and clearly they do have some flaws. It's funny, Patrick Mahomes is now on pace to throw 15 fewer touchdowns than a year ago, which still puts him at 35, which is excellent. But when we talked about, like, season-long drafting and why Mahomes was a potential regression candidate, that didn't mean he wasn't going to be the number one quarterback, but it means that he wasn't going to throw 50 touchdowns again and people like legit lost their minds like how dare you say that that's impossible that he wouldn't throw at least 45 touchdowns but now we're in a circumstance where you know it takes two bad games and then all of a sudden you're not on pace to be the best quarterback in the history of the nfl now Maybe a lot of that had to do with after the second or the touchdown pass to uh heir to the chip fortune mr pringle last night that tim andercast tweeted out that Patrick Mahomes might be the best quarterback of all time. And then he ends up being terrible and then like getting hurt at the end of the game. But it looks like he's going to be fine. But do you think that there's a huge gap between the Patriots and Chiefs? And if there is a team that's going to cause problems for the Patriots, do you think it is the Chiefs or potentially one with a better defense? Yeah, it's actually a really interesting question because like we, you kind of were hinting at a little bit, like you don't have the Patriots in this defense that has just looked, I mean, in any type of um, neutralizing stat, they're just, phenomenal right now but they also haven't had a lot of pressure put on their defense which is exactly what you would imagine the Chiefs do I don't think it's a huge gap but I think there's a decent gap between them and KC um, in that spot in the AFC it's just the defense looks really good you, you said it earlier just playing a little bit more man coverage against them is beneficial and these cornerbacks this year I mean yes yeah, Stefan Gilmore everybody knows the name for the Patriots but Jason McCourty's playing better than him so far this year and that's scary you have both the McCourty brothers uh, playing fantastic in the secondary there so I do think that it, like these small four or five game samples can sway our opinion so, so much, but the defenses look really good. Um, there's obvious concerns, and I think a good amount of it for the offense, for the Chiefs, is honestly health-related, uh, not having your running backs healthy, not having Tyreek for the most part. Um, Sammy Watkins playing banged up a couple weeks now. So the gap, I don't think it's huge, but I think there is a gap between the Patriots and Kansas City and the AFC and really the rest of the AFC. Before we get into the rest of the rankings and the waiver wire for the week, I did just want to talk about injuries just a little bit. Like we found out just before we started recording, Alex Kappa, the guard for the Bucks, played the entire game with a broken arm. Uh, and now he's going to miss time. The right tackle, DeMar Dodson, is going to miss some time as well with a calf and hamstring injury. And we saw the Saints generate a ton of pressure on Jameis Winston. Jameis wasn't like awful in the game. He also wasn't very good. And Lattimore made quick work of Mike Evans. Do you think this is a 
thing where Godwin has surpassed Mike Evans, not necessarily as a fantasy asset because he has done that, but is this going to remain all year? Or do you think that teams start to say, you know what? We don't need to take away Mike Evans. We now have to account for Chris Godwin. And then it swings back to Mike Evans a little bit because if teams continue to treat Evans as the number one, and maybe they should because maybe he is the bigger threat, then you let Godwin try to beat you. And if that's all you do, then you're not going to win a bunch of games. But I would think that defenses start to account for Godwin a little bit more if they have the personnel to do so. And maybe that opens up some room for Mike Evans. Yeah, that's the thing. It's if they have the personnel to do so. I, I think you do see exactly what you're seeing. Like end of the year, um, Chris Godwin, just the better season overall fantasy real life. And I think a lot of it is just where he's lining up. Like you're going to have most of the stud cornerbacks in this league. They won't follow you into the slot. It's very rare that they do. I think that's something that will change over the years. But when Godwin's lining up in 11 personnel in the slot every single time, his matchup is just so beneficial. I mean, we saw him just picking apart um, yesterday, just the defense out of the slot and Mike Evans getting shut down on the outside. Lattimore just has his number, but they're going to have their weeks. We've seen it already kind of seesaw back and forth, but Godwin's been the one who's more stable and consistent. And really for any team and any player, if you're a good wide receiver running out of the slot, you get to use more of the field. You're not just stuck on one hash mark. You get to usually get the second or third or fourth best cornerback on the team facing you. So I do think that this holds up uh, again, maybe not every single week, but majority of the weeks. Yes. Yeah, and like I mentioned, we saw a lot of pressure generated. Now, the Saints have a really good defensive line, but they were going up against a banged-up Bucks offensive line, which is going to continue to be banged up. Now they get Carolina, who's looked vastly improved defensively since these teams played in week two and Tampa ended up winning in Carolina. So I think that's really interesting to note. Uh, Carolina's defense in this matchup should create a lot of havoc in the Bucks backfield. The Bucks can't establish the run and Jameis has to drop back so many times. The fantasy points might eventually come, but he's going to be under duress. And I think that's something that we're seeing right now with the Cowboys as well. They lose Smith. He's been out. Now Lyle Collins goes out too, that they're just not holding up for as long as they need. Now, Dallas got down by so much in that game. They were only facing four-man rushes, and they could still basically not keep anyone out of the backfield, that they need to find a way to utilize Dak's mobility and play action a little bit more. But I think that we're going to get to a point of the season where if they get the Jets this week, and you might see Sam Darnold come back, but, I mean, they could even lose that game if Darnold's like 100%. I wouldn't expect it, but... I think these offensive line injuries go a little bit more by the wayside than maybe we want to give them credit for uh, when we're looking at spreads or we're trying to accurately project streaming defenses. Like we know the Jets are bad stream against the Jets. We know the Dolphins are actively bad stream against the Dolphins. But if we're looking at these other scenarios where you can just generate pressure on the quarterbacks, we've seen, seen it with Cincinnati and their offensive line was the Bills lost two offensive linemen yesterday as well, that maybe even tonight as we get to the Monday nighter and we'll talk about showdown a little bit later on like maybe not having a full complement of offensive linemen for San Francisco might be a huge factor in this game especially going up against a fearsome pass rush from the Browns yeah I completely agree and I think it is super underrated whether it's DFS streaming defenses in season long beginning of the year like one of the first things I look at is the people are most underappreciated is offensive and defensive line matchups, especially for just running backs, quarterbacks, not having to face pressure. We've seen it so far this year for the most part, like the Bengals. I mean, you just haven't had much there most more weeks than not if they face any decent pass rush. Um, I think it is important uh, to kind of watch that moving forward, how these injuries do affect you. I mean, if you look at in his short career, but Dak's career right now with Tyron Smith out, he faces 10% more pressure. That's not just by coincidence. It's because that's one of the best linemen or at least a startable lineman for most teams going down 
Uh, when you bring somebody else in, it's you're facing these these monsters on the defensive end that you're not prepared for. So I agree. And just quickly, like going back to the whole Goblin talk, he's getting Carolina next week, and I would continue. I would expect that to continue. Carolina has been getting torched in the slot so far this year. Yeah, it was surprising to see that Didi piled up six catches in the first half. I was big. I played Didi over Chark because I'm an idiot. Uh, but I thought that Bradbury would have a much easier time with Chark on the outside. Apparently, that's just not the case. And DJ Chark rules, and he has an immense connection with Gardner Minshew. However, Didi ends up with you know six catches in the first half, one uh, in the second half. But that was an area of the field they were exploiting to no end. And I agree with you. Godwin should be in a great circumstance here if they can keep the pressure off of Jameis. And even as a quick draw, maybe even look to... I mean, I don't want to play O.J. Howard, but it could be a circumstance where if they don't have enough time for, to let Evans develop his routes on the outside and Bobo Wilson can't do anything either. They have to go to the seams. They have to go to the slot. And those are the quick draws that you're looking for. But we'll break down those matchups more as the week goes along. If I go New England, Kansas City is the two best teams in the league. I guess the big question is who's number three? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think that it shifts over for me to the NFC. And I, I really believe in the Saints right now. And it's just crazy. It's crazy what they're able to do just two weeks without Drew Brees and the defenses looked very strong. I mean, last week, a little bit leaky, but a lot of that was coming in what was maybe more of a prevent defense on that final drive where Godwin scores his second touchdown. Um, and yeah, they were getting pressure against Jameis. So I, for me, I think it's the Saints, but um, I'm somebody who also thinks that the Seahawks are very close to being up there. Uh, that matchup between the Rams and the Seahawks on Thursday night, that's probably uh, two top 10 teams in the league matchup. Seahawks coming out on top at home. Uh, maybe a little bit of luck goes into that, but uh, credited for the win. So for me, it's probably the Saints uh, shifting back over to the NFC. Yeah, yeah, three consecutive wins now with Teddy Bridgewater because they went into yeah. Seattle and won as well. So, And I agree with you. I think I'm going to have the Saints at number three solely because what does this team now look like when Drew Brees returns? Like they have the ability to let Drew Brees get healthy because this division's kind of beaten up on itself a little bit and they've pulled away and we know that they're going to be a better team with Brees. And it actually kind of works out well too only because – you're just throwing everyone, not necessarily off your scent because you're still winning, but the type of offense that you're going to run when Drew Brees comes back is probably going to be completely different. So I like what you said earlier about Sean Payton, just how good he is at scheming offensively to make someone like Teddy Bridgewater. He's not bad, but he's not good. There's a reason that he's a backup. He's a high-paid backup. He's someone that you would want behind your starter, knowing that you can go to him and it's not Luke Falk and your season is over, or even Trevor Simeon for that matter. Like Having a good backup, especially behind a stud QB, but when Drew Breeze comes back and this offense you know takes over from where we know it can get to and the defense is playing top notch I agree with you at New Orleans then we have like a bucket of these NFC teams I don't think there's a third AFC team right now that is better than like the first like if we say Kansas City New England they're on sort of a tier by themselves and then you have like eight NFC teams then it's the Houston's and the Colts and if we're going to give credit for the chart or the uh, the Saints for being good once Drew Brees comes back, I do think that if the Chargers can figure out a way how to tread water until their guys come back, but maybe they're just permanently under curse. When Tim picked them winning the Super Bowl, that just their whole season was a complete write off. But if they do get healthy again and Okun comes back and James comes back and Perriman stops getting hurt after thirty plays every single week and Melvin Ingram is fine, that they will eventually look good. Even Hunter Henry could be on track to return at some point. We didn't think that was going to be possible. But I'm going to put Green Bay, Dallas, the Seahawks, the Rams, San Francisco. Who else should we throw into that? Philadelphia. What about, what about your boy, Josh Allen? What about the Bills? They, they, the Bills have a, I mean, 
albeit in terms of contending in the playoffs. But if you look at their schedule, like a real chance at maybe being one of the, I don't know, fakest, the defense looks good, but like a seven and one team come three weeks from now. The Bills are almost most definitely making the playoffs. And right. that's going to be just based off the strength of schedule. Even if they lose to New England again, they essentially had, we kind of broke this down on the show last week, that they have so many cupcake cupcake games left and they should win those that you have to win these 50 50 games they just won one against the titans like that's a team that they need to beat and end up getting the five seed here and maybe something breaks weird for the patriots too that they end up you know they play the chiefs at some point uh they're going to play the texans or no they'll play the colts uh maybe they just randomly lose a game then the bills would have to go into foxborough and beat them at some point but the division isn't out of the question for them but is anyone really taking the bills seriously as a real threat here like maybe they should be maybe they should be talked up in that way because the defense is so good and Josh Allen has the ability, uh, by producer Paul pointed this out, big Bills fan, that you know maybe Josh Allen's like a MMA fighter, just needs to take a few cracks to the head at first, and that really wakes him up and gets him going. Like, maybe Josh Allen needs to run into a pile and not get concussed three or four times, then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, he's ready to go and lead these comebacks, because he's been really good at it so far in his career. Yeah, you saw you saw Josh Allen, I mean, coming off concussion protocol, and then I think it was like the first quarter, he just gets absolutely leveled, gets right back up. Guy just doesn't even care. Um, but no, I think that the defense, it looks completely solid. It's a, it's primarily his own defense with a shutdown cornerback, and they're getting pressure. But then on offense, if you get Devin Singletary back, if you make what we saw this past week, a guy that they're high on at wide receiver, um, Duke Williams, if you make him into anything that is manageable, it's an offense that, that can work and rely on a defense. Maybe not one that you trust, but I think of some past Ravens teams. And yeah, you talk about the cupcake matchups. You just have to get into the playoffs and then maybe cause some damage. But yeah, if we're talking about power ranking them, yeah, probably not one of the top ones. But I think it's interesting because seven and one is very realistic if you look at the schedule. Oh, uh, most definitely. It's just how legitimate is that seven and one? Obviously, they're going to go and win these games. So it's legit. They won. They would win the games. It's just projecting them forward. Like if they were to play Green Bay on a neutral site, like who would you rather pick? It'd probably be Green Bay, right? Yeah, I would definitely pick Green Bay there. Yeah, that's that's the exact case is when you're actually sitting down, power ranking them, taking the records away. They're probably not up there. Definitely not top five. But I mean, pushing top 10, I would say. Well, it's funny on the Sunday show, uh, I've given out two Bills teases the last two weeks. And it, as it turned out, I didn't actually have to tease them and cost myself money. I'm glad I won the wagers, but said, you know, you can tease the Bills up to plus 13 and tease the under up to like 46 against the Patriots. And that wasn't necessary. The Bills covered the regular spread and they covered on the under. This week I was like, oh yeah, just tease, tease the Bills up to plus nine, tease the over, tease the under up to 45 and a half, bet the under, you're good to go. That hit, but so did the Bills plus three and so did the under just outright. That maybe this is just the way to play it. Like the only game the Bills haven't covered so far this year was against the Bengals because they were asked to win by six or more. I think that any time that you get the Bills in a field goal situation, especially where they're underdogs, like that is a prime time to pounce on the Bills. They've been very good against the spread so far. Yeah, if they're underdogs, for sure, if it's if that if it's that sort of a, a spread. And then also if they're home, like when this Bills team is home in person, I got to watch them uh, create havoc on Aaron Rodgers worst career game ever. It's just like an it's a college environment in Buffalo. And those guys get up for every single game. And then also as the season goes on, you just get the weather playing a little bit of a factor too. So yeah, if they're at home in small spreads, it's always something that I personally look for. But yeah, so far this year, when you have a defense like that, you're always in it and you're going to find yourself in a lot of close games and winning most of them. All right. So New England, Kansas City, New Orleans, who we put at number four? Uh, I, I think I'm going to give that to Seattle. I, I just over like Green Bay? Yeah, I'm going to give it to Seattle over Green Bay. I, I think I have concerns and 
Um, I guess I guess I'm being anti-biased because I'm a Packers fan, but I do have concerns and maybe a little particular uh, with the defense. And the thing that I was kind of hanging my hat on was I thought the secondary was like top three in the league coming into this past week. And then sure you have good wide receivers out there in Gallup and, and obviously Amari, um, but they just torched them. Like Jair is somebody that. I don't think he faces much better wide receivers than Amari as seasons go on. But I mean, if you're talking about playoffs and how some of these best teams are set up, I'm a little bit concerned there. And we didn't get the Zeke. We didn't get to see Zeke kind of have a full workload because of the game flow. So who knows how they look on the ground if they do look improved in that game, if you have a 20 plus carry Zeke game. So um, a little bit concerned. I do think that the worst nightmare happened outside of Aaron Rodgers getting hurt for the Packers is Devontae Adams. Like their wide receiver depth is so, so bad. It's it's wide receiver threes and fours for most teams now filling in as the number one and two spot with MBS and John Allison. So it seems like they dodged the bullet with Devontae Adams. I think turf toe is something that they're letting on like he he's a lot better than he might actually be, but there's a chance he plays this upcoming weekend, which is to me kind of uh, miraculous, but we'll see how it goes. If he's back and he's fully healthy, then yeah, maybe you bump them to four, but I think that's a major concern. And we're, we're starting to see holes being poked in a defense that looks very good after three weeks, but it's just so um, it's so tough to judge these defenses really, even after like an eight game sample. Uh, have we effectively slept on the 49ers so far? Or are we just waiting to see how they do against Cleveland? Because I think that spread is up to five now that I think Cleveland is entirely live in that game. Yeah, I think they're entirely live too. I think that their secondary being interesting, and we'll get into it, makes it a little bit more interesting. But I, yeah, we probably have slept on them. Like the 49ers secondary on the outsides has been pretty stout. Um, they, they've been struggling against slot wide receivers. But yeah, for the most part, the 49ers have looked good. And, and it's so weird. They're such a weird team where – they have so much talent and I guess they're smart and doing something that most teams don't. They're just playing it all. Like they're playing five wide receivers. They're playing three running backs every single week. It, not most teams that play three wide receivers and one to two running backs. They're playing like eight men rotations on offense with their skill positions. And you have George Kittle. So uh, it's interesting that they're getting the right matchups that they want. And so far it's been working. Uh, quickly. Are these teams for real good or are they just teams that beat up on bad teams? One, the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I think that they are teams that beat up on bad teams. It would lean that way, but I think injuries have a lot to do with it. Yeah, because that defense is not good. Yeah. And maybe it was never good. We just gave them all this credit for being the Ravens defense coming into the season. Yeah, being down Jimmy Smith isn't helping, but you know he's old at this point too. I don't think him coming back is just going to solve a lot of their defensive woes. Like they're an okay defense leaning towards below average and everyone had kind of penciled them in as like, well, this is definitely a top five defense. Don't worry about that side of the ball, but it's actually their offense that's a lot better. Like, yes, Lamar turned the ball over a whole bunch of times. That's the only reason that game goes to overtime yesterday, just generating these short fields for the Steelers and the Steelers defense actually looks way better than the Ravens defense right now uh but I don't know if Pittsburgh's like a good team or not I think that they might not they're not like Washington bad but they're probably like one of the worst 12 teams in the league especially with another injury at quarterback yeah completely now it seems like uh, Devlin Hodges is going to start next week they're saying right now for week six and yeah I'm somebody right there with you that is higher on this this Pittsburgh defense after like one or two weeks where they got just walked over um, especially at home that week two matchup it, people were kind of throwing and throwing in the towel on them but the defense was injured then they acquire Minka Fitzpatrick so that's a huge add Joe Hayden TJ Watt get healthier they have a ton of just number one picks on that defense now and I I think it is an actually pretty solid defense um, uh, overall as a team yeah when, when you have just so many injuries especially to your quarterback position um, offensive line play hasn't been the greatest it, it's tough and I think that Baltimore just to kind of finish up on them yeah they they can't avoid the injuries. I think Tony Jefferson's now an IR, another guy in the defensive 
um, unit. And it's something that I think you're right. Like they, lo- they lose one of their better pass rushers who played last night for the Packers at Arius Smith to free agency. Um, and yeah, this team is a totally different team that you're right. People just kind of assume that this mean Baltimore Ravens, Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs defense is still there when there's not many of those players left outside of what Marlon Humphrey. Yeah. Minnesota. Uh, they seem like a classic beat up on bad teams team. Yeah, I, I think they are. I think they're, I think they're built so well and it's crazy that he played well this week, but like their 28, $29 million player in Kirk cousins might be the thing that's holding them back the most. It's just strange. Like Warren Sharp had the stat last week that when they play teams with a winning record outdoors, they're essentially winless over the last two years. But you get them at home and you get them into positive game flow situations and you see what they can do. The defense is still pretty good. It's not like elite elite, but getting Anthony Barr back has really saved that entire defense. So good thing that he ended up deciding, you know what, the Jets, we're going to call this one quits. I'm going to go back to the Vikings. However, if they can't get up in games and run the ball, it was a lot like the Bears. I was surprised the Bears were even able to mount a comeback and a lot of that had to do with Derek Carr just arbitrarily throwing the ball away on a toss that allowed the Bears just to jump start their comeback at the beginning of the second half but if the Bears get down by a bunch they don't necessarily have all the pieces against like even a decent defense against the Raiders defense maybe against like a decent defense I don't know if Chase Daniels leading them back it almost seems that way with Cousins despite the fact they have both digs they have Thielen Dalvin Cook's being used out of the backfield but if they can't just pound the rock over and over they're kind of useless so It's going to be interesting to see how they match up against Philly this week, a team that's really stout against the run and really bad against the pass, that if Philly gets up on them, uh, can they just kind of unleash the dogs and get to Kirk Cousins, just make him, force him into bad passing situations. We'll see how that works out. It's going to be a very interesting game in week six. Houston, is Houston actually any good? Because I can't figure it out. Yeah, so I think Houston's I think Houston's good. I think that they have in maybe it's a little bit of a some donkey syndrome on their coaches. I think they have a good offense, but I mean what is what is Duke Johnson? Where is this man on this team? So another week where Carlos Hyde actually plays well, but um and the game script helps him out. But overall, over the course of the season, there's been way more game flows where Duke Johnson deserves more than 30-40% of the snaps. So I think this team is good. I think the the issues with them are they have their pass rush. The pass rush is there. They they obviously have the talent on offense. It's just what's happening in sort of the middle of the field and really more so in the, in the secondary. So um, I think that's a big issue for them. They've been playing for probably two or three weeks now with both of their starting safeties uh, playing limited to not practicing all week. So pretty much is an indicator that they're playing banged up. But yeah, I mean, Joseph on the outside is not any force at cornerback. So their main issue is their secondary, in my opinion. And then it's Carlos Hyde is playing well when he gets the opportunities. It's just I want to see more Duke Johnson, especially in games like last week when when they're trailing, not this one that just passed, but the game the week before when they're trailing so much. And Johnson sees more snaps, but just not enough opportunities. Yeah, Carlos Hyde was averaging close to six yards per carry through like yeah. the first three weeks of the season and since he's down around Carlos Hyde level, three yards per carry. Well, Duke Johnson has sustained you know, his six yards per carry. Now that's a misleading stat, just looking at yards per carry solely because when Duke Johnson is running the ball, they are directly in passing situations when you probably shouldn't be running the ball. So teams are like, yeah, have your six yards, go nuts. You're not getting a first down. I just think he's a more dynamic player for what he brings to the table and what they need to be doing more on offense. That's probably passing two running backs, especially if they're going to be playing this bigger personnel. I actually think that Duke Johnson works a little bit better in their backfield. So it's going to be interesting to see how Bill O'Brien adjusts. The last team I threw on that list is the Rams. Like, the Rams are good, but are they, like, how can I phrase this? 
Obviously, they're not as good as last year, but can they get back up to an elite level, or are they just lacking the personnel and teams have figured them out a bit, and that just killed Jared Goff? Yeah, so this is an interesting spot with the Saints because, or with the Rams, because it reminds me a lot of last year. Like we thought this defense was good at the beginning of the year, getting Peters and all the players that they got in Domkins who up front. And then we kind of slowly realize, oh, this secondary is a problem. And that's what it seems like is happening very quickly over the past two weeks. So I still think they're a good team. I still think they're right there on top 10. But um, I bumped them down below, like, yeah, the Saints, the Packers, the Seahawks so far this year, Dallas even, um, after we see these last two weeks that there's a real issue there. And it, it's kind of a keep-up game. And so far, for the most part this year, Jared Goff hasn't looked that great. If, if anything, he's looked good to say, uh, to, to put it like the kindest. For Jerry Goff so far, completion percentage, just making really bad decisions. I guess the one bright spot you could take away from their loss, other than that they probably should have won the game, but uh, Todd Gurley played over 90% of the snaps, and he, he looked like Todd Gurley for when he was touching the ball. So um, I'm not sure what to make of that moving forward, but I think this is a concern for the Rams is really just the secondary. Uh, just closing out also with the Texans, their offensive line is like the clear uh, concern for them too with their secondary. But yeah, the Rams are a hard team to kind of judge right now, uh, dominating the first three weeks, uh, albeit no Drew Brees playing with the injured Cam Newton week one and getting uh, the Browns week three, whose offense was just all a mess. So it, and also just um, getting a beneficial spot with all those guys in their secondary for the Browns being out that week. It's a tough team to tell. I would probably lean more so they're, they're beating up on bad teams that quarterbacks are injured. Yeah, and that's exactly what they did last year when they went on their winning streak was they I think they played seven consecutive backup quarterbacks. And even then, it's not like the defense was lights out by any means, but this offense continues to roll and they're going to post Boku points on bad defenses like we saw with Atlanta. I'm actually surprised that Dan Quinn didn't end up getting fired as well, along with Jay Gruden. But I guess they're, he's there for at least the end of the season. They don't want to do anything midstream. Can't change horses that way. 83% of burglars admitted that they specifically look to see if there's an alarm. And 20 out of every 1,000 households were burglarized in 2017. That's from the Bureau of Justice. So yeah, you know it's got to be true. And what's crazy is that only one in five homes have home security. Maybe because most companies really don't make it easy. Uh, they can have high prices. You have subscription fees. You have people that don't install it properly. It's a hassle, frankly. That's why Simply Safe is my top choice, hands down. Simply Safe protects every door, window, and room with 24/7 professional monitoring. They make it easy. There's no contract, no hidden fees, and no fine print. And it's won a ton of awards from CNET to the New York Times Wire Cutter, and the prices are always fair and honest. But one thing that truly makes Simply Safe stand out is their video verification technology. When some other home securities are triggered, a lot of times police assume it's a false alarm and the call goes to the bottom of the list. But not with Simply Safe. Using their video verification technology, they're able to visually confirm that the break-in is happening, allowing police to get to the scene 3.5 times faster than any other home security company. And for my listeners, Simply Safe has a huge deal going on right now. Go to simplysafe.com slash mayo and get free shipping and money back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash mayo today. Simplysafe.com slash mayo. 
Let's jump into the waiver wire, though, and the injuries, starting at running back. Uh, the big ones that I found, and you can find the entire list of this with the rankings and the snap shares uh, up on my Instagram feed, up on my Facebook page, and dkplaybook.com. If you hit the description, this video or podcast, you can find the rankings up there right now. Christian McCaffrey had cramps towards the end of the game. Uh, he's going to likely play in week six. David Johnson stayed in the game, but he's been dealing with a stiff back. That's why his snap share was down around 70% instead of his regular like 85-90%. It did lead to a Chase Edmonds touchdown. Uh, and frankly, Edmonds looked more spry in the game, but he's probable for week six. Gallman, you know, we spent all the fab bucks for Gallman. Looked great last week uh, in a tougher matchup. That didn't really bother me as much, but getting a concussion right away and then not playing anymore, that was suboptimal. Uh, they play on Thursday night, so he's likely out for this game against the Patriots, although Saquon Barkley could be back. If I was the Giants, though, Sal, knowing that you have a bye week coming up, or at least an extended rest, uh, a mini bye with the Thursday night, or even if it gets a bad matchup against the Patriots, you keep Saquon out of this game and let him get right, don't you? Yeah, you def- you keep him out of the game. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, you, It's on a short week anyways, and it's like the last team that you probably want to have him play and go up against. So uh, I would keep him out of this game. And then, I mean, what you get there and what John Hilleman, if you imagine Gallman misses on a short week with the concussion, is just like a one-week rental, and I, I don't really want that. Yeah, a one-week rental, not even a good one-week rental. Like, it was at least worth investing into Gallman because you thought, you like, if Saquon didn't have superhuman powers and got himself back quickly, if he hadn't suffered a concussion, you get Gallman for, like, four weeks. And I do think that having a starting running back, a running back two, like, let's face it, like a mid-tier to low-end running back two, but someone who's going to get volume is worth spending all the money on. If you need a plug-and-play, sure, he's a guy who's likely going to start. He'll probably get 15 to 18 touches. That's fine. But it's against a bad defense. It's against a really good defense. So really, what's the upside? He'd have to fall into the end zone probably twice to make up for a lack of role in the passing game and a lack of yardage on the ground to actually have something substantial for him. And I'm just not going to break my bank for that. I think there's other options that you can turn to. The other injuries, Burkhead misses with a foot. Devin Singletary misses again. This is sort of like the Berkeley thing. I think Singletary was healthy enough to play, but wasn't 100%. The Bills have a bye week this week. So you might as well keep out your rookie, get him back to full strength. Because what you need to do with soft tissue injuries let them get back up to 100% because you bring them back early and they're 85% or even 90%. The chances for re-aggravation and re-injury are so much higher that you get your guys healthy. We talked about the Bills. They could potentially be 7-1. and one. They're going to need these guys, so get them as healthy as possible when you can, and they won anyway. Jamal Williams sits the game. Darren Sproles hurts his quad. He's going to be week-to-week. Quad injuries we've seen keep people out at least a week, so um, at least that gives us some more clarity in the Eagles' backfield. But the actual rankings at running back, no one of note, really. Like, you know, you're not breaking the bank. You're not spending – tons of fab bucks or a number one waiver priority jalen samuels is still available in like 60 percent of leagues go out and get him i suppose um you know he he might throw interceptions out of the wildcat but then rashad penny chris thompson colonel mostart ito smith gus edwards like these are just legit handcuffs latavius murray daryl williams raquel armstead rex burkhead and it's like madison hilleman if you need a running back for this week it would probably be Thompson, AP, or Hilleman if you needed someone to just plug and play, but I don't like the long-term prospects of those guys. Is there any running back just in general you can see as someone you would want to actively pick up from this list? Because I'm good with just passing on them all. Um, I think, yeah, nobody like to plug and play like those Washington backs, no real interest there. I think that I, I, I do want to, and I'm going out of my way to, he's just not there in the three, four leagues I play in, but I, I do want Alexander Madison 
Um, he, he's touching the ball like 25, 30% of the time, but that's not what you want him. You want him because he would fill the Dalvin Cook role. And it's not even like he's uh, just going to come in. You don't know what to expect from him. When he's touching the ball, he's looking really good. Like if, if this was the week that, or not, not as if it's going to happen, but if Dalvin Cook gets hurt this week and he's done for the year, say, um, and Alexander Madison is now the one that people just want to empty the clip on in terms of fab bucks, in terms of number one priority. I might as well just have him now instead of kicking or keeping what a backup tight end on my roster. So that's like, yeah, the mindset right now is no injuries really happen to want to have us to get any of these running backs for this upcoming week. But I'm slowly loading up on Madison, Armstrad, Chase Edmonds, those types of guys that would come into an 85, 90% workload if they're guy was to go down and we've seen something out of them as being a good back and to have some confidence in I was initially with you on Madison but over the past three weeks Amir Abdullah has really kind of carved out half the role that Madison has like at first it looked like it was going to be Cook and then it was going to be Madison and then all of a sudden Amir Abdullah pops in some weeks he's playing more snaps than Madison is I think that we wouldn't see a situation necessarily where Madison just takes on the Dalvin Cook role like we would want that we would see some sort of split and I'm not even entirely convinced that he would be on the high end of it I'd say more likely than not he would but if all of a sudden we're looking at 55% Abdullah, uh, even if just because of past protection circumstances, that I am a bit wary of that. That's why I have someone like Armstead ranked higher, that it does appear just because a complete lack of depth at the running back position and the way that they're utilizing Leonard Fournette right now, that maybe they go out and get someone else to compliment with Armstead. But if there's no Fournette, it does look like that Armstead would play 80% of the snaps. He would be the one that I would want. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I have them right now. One, two, Madison Armstead. So it's, it's kind of a pick them for me, but I agree. They drafted both of these, well, both teams, Madison going second round, drafting Armstead this year for Jacksonville. So I do agree. Like the, the workload for Fournette is bigger because you see Dalvin Cook, like he's playing fantastic, but he's also only on the field, like on average, what, 68, 70% of the snaps. He's been in the 60s for three of the five games so far. So um, I, I'm with you there. I think for me, it's like a pick them between Madison, Madison and Armstead. And you're probably more likely to find Armstead hanging around on the waivers. Yeah. I mean, he has a tough name to pronounce just on first glance. So people are like, whoa, can't have that. Yeah, guy. I, pa- I, I pass on the first name for a reason. Yeah, exactly. So if we're just looking at, you mentioned like the snap shares, if we look at all the running backs in the league from Sunday and Thursday and see which running backs played more than 70% of their team snaps, it's not as high as you'd think. Even Aaron Jones didn't get to that. Trey Carson played enough with Jamal Williams out to play 32% of the snaps with Aaron Jones only playing 68. I have all these up right now, again, on my Facebook and Instagram feeds, but DJ over 70%. Elliott, 93%. Christian McCaffrey, who we should probably talk about Bonifon here in a second, at 86%. Fournette, 92%. Gurley, 93%. Chris Carson, 84%. And then we got James Conner, 80%. Those are the guys. Uh, It's kind of stunning, actually, when you look at it. We're so used to having even a collection of four, five, six running backs. Oh, and Le'Veon Bell, sorry, uh, of running backs that play like 80% or more every single week. But even the guys that were normally penciling into that, it's essentially Zeke, Christian McCaffrey, Bell, and Leonard Fournette are really the guys that you can count on every single week to be over 80%. And then after that, it's kind of a crapshoot that depends on game flow. Yeah, it definitely depends on game flow. I was I was actually surprised to see James Conner see 80% of the touches after the game, the way that they did it with Samuel. I don't know if Samuel throwing an interception and Wildcat uh, got him uh, down the totem pole. But yeah, James Conner saw 80%. Um, and yeah, I mentioned this, I think week two is you're just seeing a, a total transformation of like more likely to see like three running backs involved than one. 
Uh, so guys breaking out for 70 plus percent of the snaps, keep an eye on it. And I think that's why it's even more important than ever to not chase the John Hilleman one or two games, like we were just saying, and just load up on the guys that I'd rather have these, these high end handcuffs on my bench so that maybe I have a chance and they could win me a league if something happens. Whereas my backup tight ends not winning me a league. No. Yeah. That, that's definitely not going to happen. Uh, that's why you roster one, you fill one in for bye week or yeah. just stream the entire time. Like we'll see Gerald Everett just pops up and he's wildly available. You can go pick him up if you want, or Ben Watson could be back this week for the Thursday night game after being inactive on Sunday, uh, returning from a suspension, Chris Herndon wildly available. Like there's guys to go pick up as a plug and play. And like we talked about off the top, no tight ends were good this week. So sometimes it does, doesn't even matter at running back. It does specifically matter with Christian McCaffrey. Are you worried at all that maybe this leg cramping could be like man maybe we shouldn't give him the ball 38 times a game maybe we should scale this back a little bit uh or potentially he misses the game I don't think that's going to happen but should this be on our radars to monitor throughout the week yeah we should be monitoring it it definitely pushes Bonifant up my list in terms of just if I was to pick players up this week um a scale back though for McCaffrey it's just it would be interesting to see because his pass catching role is not repeatable. It doesn't seem like from a guy like Reggie Bonifon and really probably most players are in the entire league. But I think if you see a scale back, it's what, like 85% of the load, which instead of him having these 50 point monster games, it's what 35. So I don't think there's any concern from a fantasy perspective. If I was the Panthers, yeah, I would stop running him out there for every single play. But it seems like they need that to win these games. Uh, the only other situations I wanted to talk about specifically were Kansas City's backfield and the Chargers' backfield. We saw Eckler play more snaps than Melvin Gordon. However, it was Melvin Gordon doing all the damage on the ground. Eckler picks up 15 catches. Uh, that's probably not going to happen every single week, but this Chargers offense looked out of sync. I know they're dealing with a bunch of injuries on both sides of the ball and on the offensive line, but I actually think this team is better with Austin Eckler as their starting running back. I completely agree. And I, I think Melvin Gordon thought that too. That's why he came out of the holdout. Um, so you saw Eckler, it, it's not even like it's just going to be a split like most running backs because of that pass catching role where, okay, Melvin Gordon's back. He's going to play 70% of the snaps. Eckler's going to get 30. Like it's not going to happen. If, if Gordon gets bumped up from playing the 46, 50% of the snaps he played this week to going up to a 70, 75%, um, you're still probably going to see Eckler out there for, I would argue, maybe majority of the snaps. He was on the field a ton with Gordon. He was on the field when they were at the goal line, tackled on the one-yard line, then he got uh, a fumble on the one-yard line and went into the end zone trying to reach for the pylon. So you're going to continue to see Eckler out there just breaking records with 15 receptions, 16 targets is insane. And yeah, they need pass-catching help. I think as long as you see Hunter Henry out, you're going to see just increased emphasis on scheming Austin Eckler, maybe not out wide as much, but at least in the slot because they just have – nothing to take pressure away once a team keys in on Keenan Allen, which it took three weeks for teams to do that. But now it seems like after the last two, that's what they're doing. And Eckler is going to be the main priority and the main beneficiary after that happens. Yeah, Eckler 66% of the snaps, Melvin Gordon 46% of the snaps. So they were running two running back sets uh, at multiple points during the game against Denver. Kansas City backfield, Damian Williams returns, plays the majority of the snaps, 56%. McCoy gets 22%. Daryl Williams gets 22%. I kept checking to see if Shady re-aggravated his ankle injury, uh, but no, he just fumbled and they benched him. That was really surprising. Yeah, what was that what happened? Because I was doing the same thing. I was like, I, I don't know if these if I should go off of these stats right now, the 22%. Um, but I, I saw the fumble. And then, yeah, after that, you don't really see much more of Shady McCoy. And I guess this is what like beginning of the year people were expecting like a third of the snap Shady McCoy role. But after the past couple of weeks, sure, dealing with that ankle injury coming out of the games two weeks in a row, 
Um, but very surprising to just see him drop down that far, especially surprising if he did get benched that um, Andy Reid, a guy who just loves him, would just put him out like that. And yeah, you saw in the broadcast, I'm talking about how he just holds the ball out wide and stuff. He didn't even do it on that play. Uh, so it wasn't like ball security was the issue getting lazy. Yeah, he holds the ball like a loaf of bread, but he's always done that. So yeah, it's kind of surprising. It was just unless I can see something coming out after we finish recording the show, because why would they release it before we record the show or during the show? Because then we'd have the information. It only works out after we finish that they can release this stuff that like, oh, yeah, he reaggravated his ankle. That's why he wasn't playing as much and not getting the ball. That would make sense. But as we know right now, like the. It was nothing was mentioned after the game about it. Nothing was mentioned in the game about it. That just sort of a mystery at this point. So I'd pay attention to beat reporters, but going into week six, Damian Williams, Damian Williams does appear to be the guy that you want to be starting in the Chiefs backfield right now. And it puts McCoy and Daryl Williams in like that low end fringe flex spot, even with four teams on by just because you have no trust into that situation. Wide receivers, we're going to get to some injuries here. Sammy Watkins exited the game with a hamstring, hamstrings, and Sammy Watkins, we got some injuries. It's usually his foot, and it was his ankle coming into the game. He probably does not play next week. Uh, Tyreek Hill also missed the game. He could be back. We'll monitor that. Brandon Cooks left the Thursday night game with a concussion. Uh, he will have to pass protocol if he wants to end up playing this week. Hollywood Brown hurt his ankle early in the game. He tried to come back, uh, and then he wasn't on the field again. So keep it, monitor him. It doesn't look like it's going to be super serious. The Philip Dorsett hamstring injury killed all my prop parlays. I was really big on Dorsett over three and a half catches. Then he gets hurt on like the first play of the game. We don't see him again. He's listed as week to week with a hamstring. Alex Erickson suffered a concussion for the Bengals. James Washington hurt his shoulder in that Steelers Ravens game Kenny Stills missed the week with a hamstring uh, Christian Kirk Brashad Perriman Demir Bird Tyrell Williams Devonte Adams Taylor Gabriel Deshaun Jackson Pally Gambo with the Colts going on to buy an AJ Green all missed the week as well I do think there is some value here on the waiver wire for wide receiver uh, and other positions only because I do think Sam Darnold comes back this week, which injects life back into Robbie Anderson and Jamison Crowder and Chris Herndon. So I have Robbie, Robbie Anderson as my number one overall waiver wire pickup. Dante Pettis, I have at number two now that he's healthier. They're talking him back up and he doesn't play until Monday night that if you do play in one of these leagues where guys are still available on free agency, I would just go scoop up. Dante Pettis right now for some bum at the back end of my roster if he's available and he is in a lot of leagues just to see if he ends up emerging as the guy in San Francisco uh, then you don't have to spend any waivers on him yeah yeah I, I completely agree if for some reason people are dropping Robbie Anderson in your league go and get him because the whole deep threat ability and also like he runs Chris routes in the intermediate section those are going to come back what seems like Donald's going to be back sooner rather than later. And the same exact thing can be said for Crowder. Like we saw week one, Darnold, the narrative, he loves throwing to the slot receivers. Adam Gase, his coach, loves scheming that way. So the guy that's going to benefit probably a ton is Crowder. So those are two guys that I have atop here as well. Um, getting excited, we're going to get the tight end, Chris Herndon coming back. But other guys that kind of stand out, I have sort of a laundry list, but a lot of them is just deeper league options. I do think Preston Williams is not owned enough, leading that team for Miami three straight weeks in just overall targets and snaps. Now, uh, Jakeem Grant was hurt before the break. He's a slot receiver. So that's going to impact Albert Wilson a little bit more. So I think Williams on the outside, he does pose a threat, dropped a touchdown this year, probably would have a lot more numbers, but um, somebody else. And then Auden Tate plays hundred percent of the snaps. If he's still on your waiver, which I expect he is in most 10, 12 man leagues, hundred percent of the snaps, 22 targets now in three weeks. Those are some guys uh, next to those jets wide receivers on the top end. Um, Dante Pettis as well. Snaps coming up that stand out to me. 
Uh, a lot of people dropped me, Cole, hard man, uh, when it came down to it. But if Sammy Watkins is going to miss time and Tyreek Hill is still going to be out, like you're going to want to own him and probably play him going forward, at least until those two guys are back. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, definitely get Harmon. Robinson, exact same thing. Robinson getting all the snaps out there. Um, I didn't see Pringle. I think Pringle was, what, second on the team in snaps. So I guess we'll get into the – what did you say earlier about the chip? Um, he is the heir to the chip fortune, Mr. Pringle. Uh, I, I'd be surprised. I, it just it almost seems like a lot like Hodges coming into the game against Baltimore looking better than Mason, Mason Rudolph did, is that sometimes guys can come into games and the defenses just aren't prepared for them, so they can have this big strike ability. But it's not like Pringle was able to consistently keep this up. I think that, listen, any part of the Chiefs offense is entirely startable on any given week if it's just the right week that these guys go off. But I still think that he would be behind the eight ball when I was trying to assess all the options of the Chiefs offense that I would want yeah that's completely fair he's he's more of like a you already used your waiver he's still there and you need a wide receiver for the week type of play uh, if he's still out there so yeah Hardman if Hardman's available go and get Hardman Hardman's like a a realistic flex option week in and week out and yeah if you have no Sammy and Tyreek's gonna be out uh, definitely up there I think there's a couple other interesting options James Washington getting injured for Pittsburgh we'll see the extent to that but you did have Deontay Johnson um, playing 90 plus percent of the snaps the obvious concerns there are that now Devlin Hodges third quarterback in like five weeks is going to come in and play um, we'll see how that shapes up but somebody to, to hold um, wide receiver two role in this offense is always schemed very well again quarterback's an issue and Duke Williams is probably a very deep league option uh, but he was called off the practice squad played second most snaps at wide receiver only behind John Brown for Buffalo um, he's a guy in the preseason that they like. They kept him on the team as one of the last guys on the bubble, caught all four targets, caught a touchdown. And what intrigued me the most was the, the slot percentage snaps on like pro football focus. I didn't see them for Buffalo yet, but I want to see how often he was there because from some of the tape, I looked like he was lining up in the slot a good amount, which would hurt Cole Beasley in three wide receiver sets. But I imagine uh, that might've been in some four wide receiver sets. So he, he's a, he's a CFL guy. He went to Auburn, but Duke Williams is a guy that they're actually really high on and that they, they wanted to scheme into this game off the practice squad playing close to 80% of the snaps last week. Depends how much you trust Buffalo's offense, but if you're in what 16 man league or something, he's somebody that you should go and grab. I think it's one of these situations that maybe his role can emerge a little bit, but I think that he's just more of a detractor of the overall ceiling of Cole Beasley and frankly puts him in the bucket of droppable players now that if Beasley is not going to be someone who sees close to double digit targets every single week, like he had been doing from Josh Allen, then he's essentially useless uh, when it comes down to it. Like I would just someone like Jamison Crowder, who's been dropped on mass over the past few weeks, like Jamison Crowder is the better version of these two guys. Like if you combine these guys into one, I think that their stats are better, but since they're now going to be splitting them up a little bit and bumping each other off the field, that someone like Crowder is probably the superior option. Yeah, definitely. Crowder over those guys, uh, for sure, in my opinion, too. All right, let's move to tight ends. Got a little bit to deal with here. James O'Shaughnessy, the Irish assassin, had been doing pretty well with Gardner Minshew, but he's done for the season with a torn ACL. Hunter Henry missed week five, unlikely to play in week six or the near future, but he's starting to run again, so it does appear like he'll be back at some point. Hawkinson, uh, keep an eye on him because he was basically dead the last time we saw him. He was getting carted off the field with a head injury. The Lions are now coming off of bye. They don't play until Monday night against the Packers. So if you're putting any faith into Hawkinson, uh, you might want to have a backup plan.
plan in case he doesn't end up going, and you'd need to hear that pretty early in the week if that was going to be the case. He at least needs to pass protocol by Friday if you want to play him at all. And uh, frankly, he's not like a top 10 player or anything this week. So maybe just find a better option. Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis both both missed the week against the Patriots with a concussion. Ben Watson conditioning issues. He should return on Thursday, but maybe they give him the mini buy in order to work out and get himself back into game shape and get incorporated back into this offense. And Tyler Croft for the Bills ended up missing the game with an ankle as well, uh, leading to a Lee Smith touchdown, which who could have seen that coming? Who even knew Lee Smith was still in the league and not still closing in the 80s for the St. Louis Cardinals? Not me. I thought he was still on the Raiders, but here we are catching touchdowns. First one of the game, too, for the Bills against the Titans. Uh, Pickup-wise, I think there's two incredibly good options. You pick up Chris Herndon. I think he's the best. I think Gerald Everett's 1A, and after that, you're playing a crapshoot. Yeah, completely agree. Big yikes for letting Lee Smith score. Not great at all, but uh, Chris Herndon. Yeah, Chris Herndon, definitely number one right now for me. Um, and season debut, and it, it couldn't come any better if Darnold is going to be back because you'll get immediate production at a position that is just something like we've said this past week, just a crapshoot if you're not in those top tier of three, four wide receiver or tight ends up top. So I think Herdon is a guy that um, a lot of people, if you were like in the Sharp community or whatever, were drafting and just holding on to him for all these weeks. If he's on your waivers, uh, go and grab him because he's a legitimate top 10 tight end who now you can play every single week. Gerald Everett. Yeah. Gerald Everett career game. He was tackled. I think on like the one yard line dropped the ball too, but that was the only thing that he did bad played over 80% of the snaps Thursday night. You have Brandon cooks in the concussion protocol. So not only is this looking better for Everett in terms of just since really uh, Tyler Higby was injured, I believe week three, uh, really just separating himself in terms of snaps, red zone work. And now Everett potentially, if you have cooks missing a week, uh, is just going to take on even more of a role in this offense. And he, he looked like a wide receiver out there the way that they were using him. So something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, and definitely a priority to pick up. Like you said, two really good tight ends and Jeff Swaim. The only other thing that I was going to say, because yeah, James O'Shaughnessy, IR was averaging four targets a week. It's not like it's high upside, but again, if you need to stream a tight end, it's probably viable for a guy like Jeff Swaim to see five targets this week. Yeah, I think I would actually still even rather stream someone like Tyler Higby, knowing that everyone's sort of in on Everett now. Defenses can scheme for him, but they're still playing so many two tight end sets. You would think that even if Cooks was injured, they would bring in Josh Reynolds and go back to their three wide receiver sets, but they've really gotten away from that. So Higby's going to be on the field for like 60% of the time, and he will end up seeing the lesser coverage that if I was just trying to stream even against the Niners, I think that's probably the move I would try to make for this week, at least. Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, Everett, definitely the guy like over all those options too. And uh, yeah, if Higby, if Higby's available, it's just, it's just tough for me to want to get to Higby because all these guys, when it comes down to it, are going to be touchdown dependent. And I guess you do have to see that's the risk that you're taking is do you think Swaim is going to see a significant snap increase or do you think just third string tight ends kind of fill into a role? Does Swaim go up from seeing 40, 50 percent of snaps to now taking on and eating a lot of O'Shaughnessy's ownership? Because if you get him on the field for 70, 80 percent, not nearly as athletic as a Gerald Everett, but uh, it's at least more opportunity to get that which you're really relying on as a touchdown. Yeah, and in this situation, too, it just does seem like Minshew has eyes for DJ Chark, and hey, he did for O'Shaughnessy as well. I played Swain week one. I thought he was a terrific value, and he was just absolutely brutal. Uh, got his one red zone target, so maybe if you're just looking for a streamer, who's Jacksonville play this week? Jacksonville plays the Saints. Ugh. 
I mean, I'd probably just try to target the higher gate. Like, if I'm streaming tight ends, and if all realistically I'm looking for is trying to get a touchdown, even if I'm looking at tertiary options, I'd probably lean towards the higher game total game and basically just let that decide it for me. This Niners-Rams game projected up around 50 points already. I can see that depending on what happens in the Monday nighter. Like, if the Browns put up 25, that game immediately goes to, like, 52 as a game total. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the biggest question mark for me is, like, uh, what do you do with Ben Watson? Uh, like the conditioning thing's an issue. We haven't really seen tight ends involved, but you're playing with Ryan Izzo and Matt Lacoste. I think Ben Watson has a little bit, maybe more talent, not even the right word, experience for sure. Um, is he just old and, and washed up at this point? I guess I'll throw you that one. I don't know what to make of Ben Watson. I don't think he's worth much waivers, especially with these other guys here, but is, is scheme going to change for New England? I guess that's something else. And tight ends caught two touchdowns against the Redskins. It's just it was highly unpredictable. The The whole key where I would be willing to take the chance on Watson would be, one, I don't have a tight end, or my tight end is hurt, or I have someone on by, or I play in a 16-team league. And just having a tight end on the field, I think that he will end up playing the most snaps for the Patriots once he gets himself right. And it depends on this Dorsett injury. I guess we could have talked about Jacoby Meyer too, but it, that's just sort of a plug and play one week situation with Watson. If he can develop this role with new England, we know that he already has an established connection with Brady from being there like eight decades ago. They're both old men at this point, but he's just so goddamn smart that he'll be on the field more than Izzo and more than Matt Lacoste, the Lacostitute, solely because he's able to pick up schemes. He's able to adjust. He's able to really pick up on these blocking schemes in audible formats that just being on the field, knowing the history, especially red zone history of Brady and tight ends, I think it's worth the upside if you miss out on these other guys or have no one else to play. Yeah, I completely agree. And if you're in this range already and uh, your league is taking these guys and it's probably just worth the dart throw at that point quarterbacks we saw mason rudolph go down he's i don't know if he's been officially ruled out but it looks like like you mentioned hodges is going to be the starter for the steelers mahomes hurts his ankle towards the end of the sunday night game he should be good to go uh no return imminent for trubisky who's on by this week drew Brees, cam newton although sam darnold could return in week six against the cowboys we'll see how that ends up going but keep an eye on him and that's the reason that the jets players are so high in the waiver wire rankings because with sam darnold they actually may have a pulse they they might actually be able to complete a pass that's more than three yards downfield so we'll end up seeing how that goes but eventually darnold will return and that will be a boost to all of the receiving options and even Le'Veon bell and the, the jets offense uh the quarterback rankings for streamers i have for week six i got kirk cousins at number one at home against philly in that putrid secondary it's gonna be hard to run the ball against them kyle allen at tampa rosen against washington garoppolo versus the Rams, Colt McCoy against Miami, Delvin Hodge at, at, on the road against the Chargers. Um, yeah, I ended up inserting into that spot once I thought about it a bit more and really rewatched what he was able to do. And the fact that he's going to be able to run does provide a bit of a floor. Minshew's at home. It's a tough matchup against the Saints and Teddy B's on the road in a tougher matchup against the Jags. I don't know if this is going to end up being the reorder. And I think that Kirk Cousins is legitimately the only guy that you kind of want to stream out of these guys. And that's only because of the matchup. I don't even really love Kirk Cousins that much. But is there any of the available options that you think you would turn to being like, oh, yeah, I'll go with that guy? Because I did it with Andy Dalton last week. And eventually it worked itself out well. But it was looking like the week's worst call for a while. Yeah, that, that first half was, was just <laughs> atrocious, right? It, uh, yeah, for me right now, I, I have very similar ranks. I have Cousins and then Kyle Allen uh, and then Josh Rosen third. I think that Cousins makes sense for sure. It's a spot where 
Uh, Dalvin Cook's pretty much matchup proof at this point, but they could take him out of the game a little bit on the ground, which will then directly help Kirk Cousins in the passing game, uh, having another talented guy being used there more. Uh, Kyle Allen is is just fantastic because of the matchup, but I don't even I don't believe in Kyle Allen. Like people saying that the offense looked better with Kyle Allen, and I actually kind of bought into that a little bit, but the last two weeks have kind of just shown that he's just not forcing the ball down the field, and when he does, it, it's not accurate. It's just it's just pretty much let Christian McCaffrey do what he can, and for right now, that's holding up so the matchup's really good so if you're in a bind Kyle Allen I guess is okay I might actually like Josh Rosen above Kyle Allen though as as like a number two I like I think I believe in Josh Rosen it's just how can you get a much worse situation in your first uh, two teams in the NFL uh, and I do like the talent that he has around him now Kyle Allen has much more talent Christian McCaffrey can just turn things to the house for you but if you're just trying to rely on the quarterback his skill I would put Josh Rosen there. But again, we're talking about guys that are on the waiver. So Cousins, I think Rosen two for me, and then Kyle Allen probably three. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, I, I think I would take him in that matchup if for some reason we want to go to that. But over Minshew, I just trust the head coach there more. Defenses that you can stream on the week six waiver wire. I've actually readjusted these a little bit now with the news of Tampa Bay going to be down to O-line. And I've actually moved Carolina up to number one as they're still owned uh, in fewer than 60% of leagues. And then everything else, you just bump them down one. So Carolina, number one, Tampa, number two, Cleveland, number three, Washington, Dallas, Kansas City, the Chargers, and then San Francisco at the Rams. I would boost up. The Chargers, or sorry, the Chargers, not the Chargers, the uh, the Cowboys, sorry, at the Jets. If we know that Falk is starting again this week, they would become the number one streaming defense, but that's the way that I'm shaking it out right now. Carolina and Tampa, I just think that you can give up points, as we've seen, and still be a good fantasy defense. Carolina showed that on Sunday, and I think they'll do that again with Tampa Bay. Yep, yeah, I completely agree. And then, like you said, uh, Dallas would bump up a ton if Sam Darnold wasn't able to play. Um, I do have, and it's like the seventh stream option, uh, just the Packers defense still down here because, sure, they might not be good uh, or, or showing holes against the pass and the run, but they're still generating so much pressure. Um, so that usually is the big thing that I look for outside of just you're, you're playing a really bad quarterback. So Packers are, are lower on the list if they're still available on your waivers, but all the ones that you mentioned, um, I wanted to say Baltimore, but I, I just don't think I trust them in, in any regard, even against Cincinnati. I would play them against Cincinnati. They're still owned. Like they, they still get ownership based on name recognition. I believe they're still up around like 78% owned, even against like the Steelers. I guess the Steelers wasn't a bad matchup, so you could run the Ravens defense out again against them. And I think people will have no problems doing that. I can see them shaping up to be a very popular DraftKings defense this week as well. Let's discuss the Monday night game a little bit. Um, if you go to Sal's YouTube page, um, Sal Vetri, and you can you know, become one of the 10,000 and more subscribers up over there. He already has a showdown preview for DraftKings posted up there right now. But I think you hit it on the head that this is a really interesting showdown contest. Like, uh, the line in the game right now is San Francisco minus five. That's up from three and a half as it was posted. The steam keeps coming in on San Francisco. I like the Browns still in this game. I think if I was going to make myself a captain, it would be Odell Beckham in this game, especially if they can get him utilized out of the slot a little bit, that he's always a game breaker that you would want. It's like when Tyreek Hill is active for the Chiefs, just put him in your captain spot because if anyone's going to break the game and break the slate and basically insert game genie, it's him. Beckham is still that guy for the Browns even if he's going to be inconsistent like you can't go into this thing thinking you're going to win you know the 500,000 bucks every single time but you need to have that player in your captain spot if you ever are going to win it but 
even if it's the backfield for the Niners or the receiving game for the Niners, like I don't know who to play. No one knows who to play. So it makes it kind of intriguing. Yeah, it makes it really intriguing. And if you are somebody who enters just a ton of lineups into these things, uh, you can you can really get some interesting builds here. I was playing around a little bit with it earlier, but yeah, you mentioned it. Like this is by far the craziest, I would say like news slate and just all different nuances to it that you have to look at. So if you look at the 49ers coming into this game, they have five wide receivers playing 25 plus percent of the snaps. They're just rotating in for their best matchups and it's worked for them so far. Running backs, we know they have like a three-headed backfield. Jeff Wilson Jr.'s name's been popping up because of red zone touchdowns around the goal line. But they signed Jordan Matthews. I don't know if he suits up for this. I don't know if he sees the field. But that's just somebody else if he does and he's active come an hour and a half before. Another wide receiver that gets thrown into the mix of 20 to percent snaps, lowering the ceiling for other guys. Um, at the running back position, Tevin Coleman is due back. And as of like an hour ago, he's expected to be active tonight. So I would expect that to make Jeff Wilson Jr. not active. I don't know what that does for the running back, Zoe. I don't know if it just continues to make it a 50-25-25 a split across the board. So very interesting on that side. And then there's news on the Brown side. The Browns, their wide receivers. Antonio Callaway is going to play his first game um, after missing suspension, the first, what, four games of the season uh, so far for them. So that's going to push down guys like Damian Ratley, not even going to be in play. Rashad Higgins, who's coming back and healthy, probably not going to be too much in play outside of you're hoping that you get a touchdown bink on low ownership, but uh, they're saying that Callaway is going to be limited as well because of uh, not conditioning is what they're calling it. Um, but just endurance, which I don't know what the difference is for a guy who came into the preseason out of shape. Maybe they're just trying to be nice in the reports there. Um, but yeah, it's just all over the place. So like, usually I have a pool of, if you kind of just factor out kickers and defenses for skill position, I don't know, around 14, 15 players right now it's at 10, which doesn't sound like a big drop off, but when it's a one game slate, that's a pretty big drop off. And you can even factor in, I think both defenses are very live in this game as well, just to generate both can generate pressure. Both quarterbacks have been somewhat interception prone, especially pick 60 interception prone as well, that if you do need to save some money playing either defense, even in what you could project as a higher scoring game, knowing that they're both going to generate pressure, I don't hate them either. Like you would think that San Francisco is probably in a better spot. They're the favored defense. That means they'll likely be going up against more passing attempts. But if I like the Browns, I think that using both Nick Chubb and the Browns defense over the running game and the defense for the 49ers may be a better way to go. I'm just looking at props right now, and there's just so many guys that aren't even available. I think the one that I like the best, and we talked about it as a potential pickup, the Niners have been talking him up a little bit, and it's big same on either side, but over under 27 and a half yards for Dante Pettis, knowing that both Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward are not going to play here. Oh yeah. I like that over. And uh, he's one of the guys that I have is like a yes and a player pool on that video. He's just way too cheap on this DraftKings price. And yeah, his snap counts are coming up. Like the rise in, and I guess over emphasized demise of Dante Pettis in like a six month span or eight month span, which is insane um, from the preseason. But yeah, he seems like he's slowly working his way back up. It seems like there's a cap at like 70% on how much these wide receivers can play, albeit a small sample of a quarter of the season. But yeah, wow. I like, I mean, he could obviously get that in, in literally one target. Yeah, that's the whole thing with it. Like, I was even looking at the other ones, like Debo Samuel's up at 45 and a half, Kittle's at 70. It just, it seems weirdly low. Like, Richie James is also listed in the player props, and his receiving prop is 19 and a half. Like, you're not asking Dante Pettis, who's significantly better, to do not much more. 
Yeah, Pettis is going to play at least 25% more snaps than James, probably more times than not tonight. And that's a low number. I guess a question, I don't have props up. Do you have a prop for Landry's receptions? Yeah, uh, Landry total receptions, five and a half, but you get money in order, like you get plus 125 to bet it. I like that. I was gonna, I was gonna guess six and a half for his receptions tonight. So um, right now, San Fran is their outsides are pretty good, but in the slot is where they've been. I guess borderline, not torched, but beat up. Godwin week one, three fifty three and one. Boyd torched them ten for one hundred and twenty two, and then Juju three for eighty one and one. Um, and they also have given up other receptions out of the slot. Those are just primary players. So um, I do like Landry's coming off of a game. He's cleared to play a career high game and just running a ton of routes. Five and a half. I would have guessed six and a half. I'm, I'm no lines maker. Um, so don't don't come yelling if uh, people play this. But uh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, the other one, too, especially with uh, Dontrell Hilliard active, um, that the receiving prop for Nick Chubb is three and a half. That seems high. I was going to say, yeah, I didn't know where you were going to go with that. I was going to say that that does seem high. Uh, last week, like if you look at the snap counts last week, it, they don't they don't matter too much because in the fourth quarter, Chubb was pretty much done. It was it was uh, a game where Hilliard got to have garbage time and pick up some stats. But yeah, they they made an emphasis to want to involve him in the, in the receiving game more. And we've seen it here and there, but it's not something that every third down, um, I would expect Chubb to be running a ton of routes. Like we saw it two weeks ago, he didn't come off the field, uh, but that also doesn't translate to just having four catches. Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. Like the, the overall yardage for receiving props for someone like Chubb is probably a bit better because he could take one of those and end up with like 28 yards and all of a sudden he's over. Having either dump offs or designed routes for him, especially in games where they're underdogs. So let's say this game plays out like Vegas thinks it's going to play out, that they're in a lot of passing situations that would lean me towards him running more routes or potentially being more involved, but that would also lead me to think that he's playing fewer snaps. I think the better bet if you want to target Chubb, uh, I'm looking right now, player rushing attempts over 19 and a half. I don't love that, but the yardage total for Nick Chubb right now is, where'd you go? 86 and a half rushing yards, but you're getting even money to bet that because people have hammered the under. Uh, that I think that's probably your likeliest scenario rather than going three and a half on like a total reception. I think the only prop that, I mean, I've, I just played it. I'm playing that Dante Pettis prop. So over 27 and a half is the official prop of the show today. I like that. I'll, I'll back that. I'll, I'll put a uh, endorsement behind that prop. So uh, now we know it won't all be on you if it doesn't go right, right? No, no. Everything always falls on me. Now, although <laughs> I'm not the one taking people's money and entering the bets. They just listen to career betting loser Pat Mayo and be like, this has got to be the week. Pat's due. He's going to turn it around. Although I was three and three on props yesterday, including one guy who got hurt in the first bit. I might have to start factoring it down to, I have only lost on one of them. I was going to say I have yet to lose, but I lost on a Chris Carson one in that game. He got benched, but I had Madison under carries Royce Freeman over carries like those the carries for running backs. If you think you have a good grasp on how that game is going to go, I think that's a really soft market for props. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a niche within the niche because the props are already soft and I think bookies usually, but whether it's just uh, um, just the books in general, they have such hard caps on these because they know they're not the greatest at setting them. So, yeah, if you're like a niche within a niche and you're tracking those sorts of things, I think that's a really good way to kind of very few chances to take advantage of Vegas maybe, but have a career successful track record in that area. Uh, last week on the waiver wire show, I gave out the new England Patriots minus 14 and a half as a fantastic bet, then failed to super lock it in. Cause I'm an idiot and forget things, but we bet it right away. And that bet ended up winning and ended up closing at 16 and a half 
when all was said and done. If you take a look at the spread board this week, there's not one that really leaps out to me, although Carolina's a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against Tampa. We've talked about these Tampa injuries. I'm kind of intrigued by that, but I'm curious to see where that line goes throughout the week. Yeah, yeah. Tracking the injuries, they're already going to be down like two offensive linemen, so curious to see how it moves as well. That's interesting. I thought that um, I guess Thursday night football again. The Patriots opens as 14 point favorites, and quickly I'm seeing across the board just bet to 17 already. I thought, I mean, if you got it at 14, again, I would say that that's a good bet. Now coming back home, um, one that stands out is it's it's late in the week, but Monday night the Packers, Detroit coming on a bye, going to Green Bay, but uh, seems like five and a half to me seems like a, a good amount of points for the Packers to be getting. I would probably side with Detroit there as just sort of like a, a first look at this, but. Yeah, glancing up and down the board right now, not much stands out. The game that, like, is just a question to me in general, is it going to be a good game? Is it going to be low scoring? Like, and seeing the line here is a pick in some spots. New Orleans and Jacksonville, I don't know what to make of that right now. I don't know if I'll more than likely later in the week have a stronger stance on it. But, yeah, it's tough. I mean, you have a lot of uh, confidence in this New Orleans team from the public just in what Peyton and Teddy Bridgewater have done. Is this sort of a letdown spot going into Jacksonville? Jalen Ramsey being active for that game, seeing a specialist right now is obviously a big piece of it, but I don't know what to make of that as a pick em. It's surprising. Yeah, I'm going to have to dig into that one more as the week goes along. I don't have really a lean on it either way. I think Tennessee getting points in Denver, they're getting two and a half. You can probably find that at three in some spots. I think that's the sort of team that Tennessee can go and beat. Like uh, they play better against finesse teams overall. However, Denver coming off a win, they finally get one. I don't think Tennessee's Tennessee's neither good or bad. They're just incredibly average. Yet the Broncos run defense is so putrid that this just feels like Derrick Henry goes bananas in this game. Then you don't ask Mariota to do too much. Then all of a sudden the Titans are winning. There are a lot. It's funny that they played the Bills this week. They're sort of like the minor league version of the Bills. And I think that wins against Denver. So I like that. And frankly, the Jets, eight and a half, getting eight and a half at home against Dallas. I know Dallas has looked bad the past few weeks. And, you know, you just think they go and steamroll the Jets. This line feels like Darnold is starting in it. Uh, Like if Falk is starting in this game, this line is probably like 15. I think it probably even goes up because people love to bet the Cowboys. But like if you can get like plus nine, plus nine and a half with Darnold back, I actually kind of like the Jets. Yeah, I like this too because you have to track Tyron Smith's ankle and Lyle Collins. But if you get Donald or Darnold back, and it seems like that, just the playmaking ability to keep it close, even backdoor this seems very good. But also, like the Jets last week were down CJ Mosley, they were down Quinnen. Uh, and those guys are going to get healthier too against, and those are two guys up front in the front seven against what could be a team with their two best starting linemen out and more than likely one of them out. So that's that does seem like a lot of points. Uh, the only two games for the DraftKings main slate that will be above 50 in terms of overall game total, as it stands right now, one, you have the game that everyone is going to be stacking, Texans at KC, 56 is the game total. The only other one that creeps up is Arizona and Atlanta at 52. That game, as someone who consistently plays the wrong Cardinals and the wrong Falcons, is whoever you think you should play in that game, just play the random other guys in that game because they'll be the ones who go off. Yeah, like the, the Sanu this past week, Fitzgerald somehow is capped uh, not getting into the end zone. Yeah, uh, those seem like the two the two spots that people are going to want to stack. Well, yeah, Houston and Kansas City seems like it's going to be a really good game, I would imagine, um, and just for fantasy purposes. But yeah, Atlanta, Arizona, there's going to be just tons of pieces in it. We'll see Kirk seems like his injury is going to be a little more long-term. Uh, I have to check in on Demir Bird. 
Um, but it seems like David Johnson, like this is what the, the plug and play if David Johnson, as long as he's, they're saying probable fine, it's what the highest home play on the slate against Atlanta. Uh, I would think Austin Hooper might be the highest home play against oh, Arizona. That's, that's so, that's so true. Yeah. That's the other, like that's the other flow chart right now. And yeah, you had Eifer, like he failed last week, but he also had a touchdown or should have had a touchdown uh, if Dalton um, hits him there, he was open in the end zone on just cross, crossing into the middle of the field. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if he doesn't throw it at the defender instead of, and, but Eifert was all like, there was a couple that we got pass interfered with once. He dropped one and Auden Tate, eventually Auden Tate ended up getting the touchdown, but he dropped a touchdown on like the first drive of the game. It was just an incredibly frustrating game overall. Yeah, I think Eifert also played like his lowest snap. So, what, I, what I'm trying to look at is like, what's that like next tier game, I guess? I mean, I see a 48 spot on Cincy and Baltimore. Uh, is this like a week that it's just Hollywood Brown week finally? Um, yeah, I, I'm not it, sure. If he's good to go, like 48 and a half Panthers and Bucks right now, and then it's like Seahawks and Browns, but that total is going to be adjusted after the Monday night game, I'm guessing. And then Niners and Rams, and that's another one that's going to be adjusted after the Monday nighter. That it's, it's a really weird week. Uh, and it's not like we're... It's the teams that were missing on by, you have the Bills who have a good defense, the Raiders who were just kind of middling in all things, the Colts who were, they're really hard to project because they're sort of like the Niners in that way. You have your one or two pieces, then who knows as it pertains to them on offense. It could be, you know, Pally Cambu coming back, or it could be Zach Pascal, or this week is Chester Rogers. You just never know. It could be a Jack Doyle week over an Eric Ebron week. But then you have the Bears defense also on by. So you have two really stout defenses not playing uh, at all and especially not on the main slate that you think that there'd be more to pick on but there's not <laughs> yeah it's crazy there's nothing in like the right now nothing in like the 45 to 47 range it's just low scoring games and like four 48 and above which is um gonna be odd and yeah we have a 10 game slate which when we get to all that drafting stuff later in the week is is going to be just less options in general. And now you're going to have less options and less favorable spots, which just probably leads to even more ownership and chalk on those 250-point games. Well, hopefully everyone's disenfranchised with the Ravens offense because both Andrews and Brown went down in that game. Andrews ended up coming back. Uh, and Brown is probably just going to be, have the questionable tag all week that hopefully, now that I've done it the past two weeks and it hasn't paid off, I'm just going to go back to Lamar, Andrews, Hollywood, and hope that it hits this time. Yeah, you have to you have to have your mindset the whole week as you're not going to go there. And in the back of your head, you're like, this is the week that they're going to go off. And then five minutes before lock, just change the entire lineup, get those Baltimore stacks in there. Mark Andrews is just um, phenomenal. Like he's dealing with a foot injury that seems to be just limiting his play. And he's still hurdling like two dudes a game. Is there any chance I mean, we talk about Hooper, David Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald probably gets the high ownership. Everyone is going to own Will Fuller this week, right? Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, the price tag reflects, but it still doesn't come up all that much from what I was looking at. Um, I'll probably still have interest in it. It's still a good matchup, but maybe the week to get away from it, probably the week to get and just pay up more for Hopkins here. There's just not much. Like, it's a very concentrated offense uh, for this team. And if they're going to play more 12 personnel, I don't know if I trust those tight ends to roster them, put my money behind them. So, yeah, they're the only option. So he still seems fine. Like, he just had a ton of targets. I don't feel like it drops off. But yeah, if the ownership comes in high, pivoting to Hopkins, uh, pivoting to other players in the price range always makes sense um, because he's a, he's a big boomer bust player and he just had a, a big boom game. All right. Salvetri, thanks for being on dude. Plug your channel and tell everyone where they can watch you throughout the week. Yeah. Thanks man. I appreciate it. this was a ton of fun. So yeah, my channel is just Salvetri. I mean, 
uh, I've transformed it into sort of, well, it's a YouTube channel. And then also now in podcast format, same type of thing as on YouTube, just strip the audio. So Sal Vetri, you just type that in, you'll find me on YouTube in podcast formats, Twitter at Sal Vetri DFS. And then I appear on Awesomeo's show on their YouTube channel, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturdays at 11 a.m. How's it feel uh, full time being as busy as possible during football? Did do you hate football more now? No. So we were talking about this before the show. I don't hate it more now because I'm like kind of a spreadsheets guy and kind of just I'm like very in between of liking all the spreadsheet stuff and, and really enjoying doing content. So right now it's a nice balance. I'm I'm concerned. not really concerned, but just curious at what it's going to be like uh, come three weeks when I start to cover some NBA as well. I think the process will be down for NFL. But yeah, man, doing this is like a full time job now is, is just phenomenal. And I just hope to do it as really as long as possible. Well, congratulations on all your success. Everyone go subscribe to his YouTube channel. I mean, the first 10K, they're slow. The next 10K, let's make that pretty quick. So everyone go subscribe to Sal's YouTube channel right now. Go download his podcast and go follow him on Twitter at Sal Vetri as well. Thank you again for being here. Thanks for everyone who tuned in live. Congratulations to all the winners. And if you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars, what you do is smash the like button for the episode. Leave a DraftKings handle in the comment section. The live, not live chat, not included. The actual comment section. Tell me which player in all of fantasy you would buy low on right now. The number one guy. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at the PME to get yourself into a draw for 20 DK bucks and subscribe, rate, review, and download the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Five-star review, DraftKings handle, something nice about the show, and boom, you too will be in the draw for 20 DK bucks. Winners announced every Monday live, 1 p.m. Eastern time on the DraftKings YouTube channel. All of my content is up in the description of this video and podcast right now over on dkplaybook.com. If you just want to find the site to find everything, I got rankings tomorrow. I got DraftKings picks early on Wednesday. The spreads pick show has been bumped to Wednesday evening, at least tentatively. That's what we're going with right now. We'll see if Feinberg can squeeze himself out some time to come in and film, but that'll do it for me. Hope you enjoyed. Good luck in week six. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.